Boom. So are we good to get started? We're going to do this thing? We're going to do it? All right. Um, we, I can't remember what I said last week, because I can hardly remember what I said yesterday. Uh, I remember what the message was last week, that's for sure. But uh, <coughs> did I tell you guys that we were going to jump to chapter 9? No. Okay, good, because we're not jumping to chapter 9. No. Uh, guys, chapter 8 is 59 verses. Uh, we've made it up through... We've made it up through verse 20, um, and we are going to not get much further tonight. Uh, I promise you, we're not going to get far at all. Uh, we're going to be focusing, guys, on uh, John chapter 6, or John chapter 8, uh, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, um, and the title of the message uh, for all of you note-takers, which if you're a note-taker... Um, I, I heard it said, I heard it said that there, uh, you get extra heaven points if you take notes, uh, which I heard and I always knew to be true, uh, and so now I'm just reinforcing it. So you get extra heaven points if you take notes. That's actually not theologically accurate, uh, but um, when I get to heaven, I'll give you an ice cream cone, if there's ice cream cones in heaven. I don't know if that works. Uh, the title of the message tonight, guys, uh, is Slaves... No more. Uh, last week, the title of the message was Live Light. Uh, not live light as in like heaviness, but live light as in bright. Uh, and the week before that was uh, Sin No More. So we're kind of in this. John chapter 8 is, a, is an interesting uh, and very profound uh, chapter in the Bible. Uh, and it deals with some pretty heavy-duty things. Um, really one heavy-duty thing, uh, the three-letter word, sin. Uh, and so we're going to talk about it because sin doesn't get talked a lot about uh, in the church. And so we're going to talk a lot about sin because sin is not awesome. Sin is uh, bad, but it's something that plagues us all. Uh, and so I think it needs to be addressed. I think it needs to be talked about. So just a little bit of review before we read, before we pray, before we dive in. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 1. starts <coughs> with our friend Jesus uh, and his disciples, and they're going to the feast uh, of booths and they're and, and, and they're hanging out. They're doing uh, their thing. Uh, they're going to the temple uh, six days. Uh, and during this whole uh, ordeal, uh, the Pharisees they bring a woman who was caught in adultery. Uh, the Bible says caught in the very act. They throw at Jesus' feet. They say Jesus, the law and the prophet says stoner. What do you say? They're trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus just gets down on a knee. He ignores them. He starts drawing in the sand or writing in the sand. And we talked a little bit about that. Um, but then he says, uh, well, he who is without sin amongst you, uh, throw the first stone. And then from the oldest to the youngest, everyone begins to leave. Uh, and then Jesus gets back up and he, he turns to the woman. He says, woman, uh, where are your accusers? Uh, she looks at him and she says, um, oh, Lord, there is none. Uh, and Jesus says, well, neither do I accuse you. Uh, go and sin no more. Uh, that's the commission for us. Go and sin uh, no more because Jesus isn't accusing you. Um, the enemy is our accuser and Jesus is the propitiation for our sins uh, he does not accuse us and he says uh, I love you, go and sin no more and then we looked at last week as Jesus says this of himself um, he then goes on to say that I am the light of the world and that uh, uh, you can live in the light you don't have to live in the darkness. We looked at First John, another uh, letter that was written by uh, the author of this gospel. Uh, and we looked at what it means to truly live in the light. 
Um, and, and we broke down, this is what practical Christian living should look like. And, and, and we looked at some very specific things. Uh, but now we're jumping back to a portion of Scripture, John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36, uh, where Jesus is going to say a few things uh, to the people, um, and, he, and he's really going to call uh, them to a task. And he's going he's gonna to call them uh, not only to grow in their faith, uh, but really to be new uh, people, which I think is really, really cool. Uh, and and uh, not just new people, but new creations, um, alive in Christ, uh, and free uh, from the things that hold them uh, in bondage. So we're going to read, and then we're going to pray, uh, and then I've got a lot of notes and not a lot of time. I never have a lot of time. Actually, I technically could hold you here as long as I want. Uh, I can just talk. You guys could leave, uh, which would be cool. No, would not be cool. Uh, no. Don't don't say amen. Good, no one said amen. Praise <laughs> God. Uh, John chapter eight. Is everyone in John chapter eight? If you're in John chapter eight, let me know by saying holla. holla. All right. If you're not there, let me know by saying hold up. Oh, we're there. Okay, here we go. John chapter eight, verse thirty-one. And then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Dear God, we just pray that as we spend these next few moments looking at your perfect word, God, the perfect law of liberty, um, that very phrase, law of liberty, that is the the thing, the manual that makes us free. Um, God, I pray that as we look at the freedom that is found in your word, uh, God, I pray that each and every single one of us would have a new sense of freedom in our own lives, Um, God, liberty in our lives, Um, uh, that you would break chains that hold people fast. Um, God, if there's walls or barriers, you break those down. Uh, God, that tonight uh, there would be breakthrough. Uh, God, that tonight people would have an encounter with you. Uh, God, I pray right now that you'd be softening hearts. Uh, God, to hear your word, God, as as, as our hearts are uh, this soil, may it be being made ready, may it be being tilled, uh, God, for the seed that is going to be planted tonight from your word. Uh, God, we pray that as we look at your word, God, your word would inspire us. God, your word would encourage us. God, that your word would challenge us. Not just uh, a challenge like, yeah, go do this. But God, it would challenge us uh, to stop doing the things uh, that, that hurt you. Um, God, stop doing the sin that we so easily uh, get entangled with. Um, God, I pray that tonight none of these would be my words. Uh, but God, that you would speak through me. Uh, God, anything uh, that I would say that would be of myself, God, may it fall on deaf ears or may I not even be able to get it out of my mouth. But God, that your perfect word uh, would come through. Uh, God, that each and every single one of us uh, would would have our eyes open. Uh, and God, that you would reveal truth to us. God, and that truth would make us free. Because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So God, we just pray that there would be freedom in this place. Uh, God, that we would have liberty in this place. Uh, God, and that we would live in the grace that you have for us. So God, we thank you and we praise you. In your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. How many of you guys uh, are ready to learn tonight? Okay. Uh, I want to learn like every day, uh, but I hope tonight you bring 
you brought your learning caps. You remember in kindergarten where they say, pull out your thinking cap and your learning cap? Uh, how many of you guys, when you thought about that, uh, did any of your teachers in like elementary school or daycare, or kindergarten or whatnot, did any of your teachers actually have like a hat that they would put on and then you'd, they would just like say, imagine doing this? Uh, my teacher had a hat and it was like one of those cool ones from the early 90s that looks like a beach ball that's cut in half and then has a little propeller on the top. And, and, and so my teacher would put that on and so no jokes, that's the time I was like six. Anytime someone says thinking cap uh, or learning cap, I always picture myself putting on and then flicking the propeller and when the propeller spins, I start learning. And so uh, guys, I dare you to flick your propellers tonight because uh, we're going to learn uh, a little bit from God's Word. We're going to go verse by verse, which is what we always do. Um, and we're really going to break down some things. Uh, so yeah, um, it's been my prayer uh, as I've been um, preparing this Word and talking with God uh, that each and every single one of us uh, would take something away tonight. Um, so verse 31 uh, it says, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed, and there's a key thing here, and this isn't even like this sermon, there's a very key thing here, uh, that there were Jews uh, who believed. Uh, what did Jesus do uh, to inspire this belief in him? Well, it's directly what happened just before. Uh, it wasn't just the Pharisees around who brought the girl uh, they were the ones who brought the girl, but there were people gathered around because Jesus was teaching, and they bring her to Jesus while Jesus is teaching. So there is a whole crowd who sees this whole ordeal take place. So um, when Jesus says all these things, the crowd sees, oh my gosh, here's redemption, this is what grace is, and they begin to think in their hearts, who is this? Isn't that just Mary's kid? Uh, or isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter? And they start beginning to think amongst themselves. And then when Jesus continues to break down what it means to live in the light, what it means to live uh, for the Lord, what it means to live for the kingdom, uh, there are people who end up believing what Jesus says. And so then Jesus says to them, uh, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple. Uh, this word disciple, I think if we were to go around the room and we were to ask each one of us uh, what disciple means, I think we could all come up with answers. I think the answers would all be somewhat close to one another. Um, but I want you guys to write this down. Uh, I actually don't say that a lot. Uh, please write this down. But I want you guys to write down the word disciple. Um, because we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be a disciple. Uh, because Jesus has called us to be disciples. We're called uh, to not only be disciples, but disciple makers. In the Greek, um, the word disciple, you guys ready for this? In the Greek, the word disciple is mathetes. Everyone say mathetes. Uh, you got to say it first, then I'll spell it for you. Mathetes. Okay, it's spelled M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. Yeah. Mathetes. Uh, and this literally means the disciplined ones or the followers. Uh, the followers of a discipline. Um, and so we're called to be disciples. Uh, and how do we know if we're disciples? How do we know if we're disciples? Uh, well, Jesus is going to break down for us in this very place uh, how we know if we are disciples. Um, he says, abide in my word. So, how do we know that we're being disciples? First, that we continue in God's Word. Second, that we take heed to God's Word. So first, I saw people writing this down, this is good. Uh, first, is 
first way we know uh, that we are disciples, if we continue in God's word, uh, being continually uh, renewed by God's word. The second way is when we take heed to God's word. It's important to heed what God's word has to say. When God's word says that's not good, it's probably not a good thing for us to do. When God's word says, hey, that's a great idea, uh, that's probably something we should apply to our lives. Uh, and the third thing, uh, how we know that we're being a disciple, is when we make a high priority of God's word. Uh, when God's word becomes a high priority uh, to us, it's, it's a main priority in our lives. That means we wake up, we're like, man, I want to be in God's word. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, later on tonight. But the question is, uh, why is God's word uh, so important? Why is God's word so crucial? Uh, why is it important for us to continue in God's word? Why is it for, important for us to uh, take heed to God's word? Uh, and why is it important for us uh, to be uh, being changed by God's word and having it be a high priority in our lives? What is uh, the importance behind this? And the importance is uh, because God's word, the very next verse says, uh, God's word brings truth, and truth sets us free. How you guys doing? Good. Going good. Good to see you guys tonight. Um, so, before uh, we move beyond, because I jumped into verse 32, and before we move beyond and we start talking about truth, uh, I want us to first understand uh, what it means to <coughs> abide. What it means to abide. Uh, that's a word that uh, I know I personally don't use a lot. Uh, and, and it's a word that maybe is used by older generations. But we don't say the word abide very often. Uh, so I want us to look at the word abide. Uh, in the Greek, uh, the word abide is meno. Everyone say meno. meno. Not like the little fish that swim in the river. Those are minnows. Uh, this is meno. Uh, and it is an active verb. Uh, it means it's continual. It's taking place. So this abiding is a continual thing. It's not just like, I abide once and I'm done. No, abiding is a continuous thing. It means to remain, to stay, to reside. And not only is it an active word, but it's a subjective word. And it means it's intentional. So not only is it ongoing, but it's an intentional ongoing. To abide means I'm going to uh, continually remain with intention. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I think if we were to look at the word abide, we're like, yeah, I mean, I abide at my house. That's cool. But when we actually look at what the Greek means here, uh, it means to continually remain, continually be remaining with intention. So when it says abide in my word, it's talking about we as followers of Christ, we need to be continually remaining in God's word, staying in God's word with intention. Not just like, oh, well, I'm a Christian, so I have to read the Bible. And you do it consistently. Yeah, that's remaining, and that's doing it uh, for a amount of time. But if it's without any intention, uh, then it's not truly abiding. It's just really taking time. And so to abide means it's something uh, intentional as well. Uh, this is the same abide. This abide that's used here in uh, verse 31 of chapter 8 uh, is the same abide that's used in reference uh, in John chapter 14 when it talks about God the Father abiding with us. Uh, and I think that's really, really cool because uh, the Father abides with us 
uh, forever. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And so when it says that God's going to abide, when the Father's going to abide with us, it means he's never going to leave and he has an intention for us. Which I think that's really cool, that, that, that God's going to be intentional with us as he's abiding with us. Isn't that different? John 14, uh, I think it's in John 15, uh, it's John 14, verse 8 and 9, and then I think it's 15, verse 6. Okay. Uh, so, so, so yeah, the, the, it's kind of a common theme okay. throughout uh, the book of John. But this abiding uh, means to remain continuously with intention. Okay. Uh, the early church fathers, uh, who are some of my heroes, uh, they wrote down a lot of things on the book of John. Uh, and a guy uh, by the name of John Chrysostom, uh, who lived in the 5th century, uh, he wrote down something, and I'm going to quote him because I think this is really, really uh, cool. This is what he says in reference to John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, If now we will thus search the scriptures exactly and not carelessly, we shall be able to attain unto our salvation. If we continually dwell upon them, we shall learn right doctrine and perfect life. I'm going to read that one more time because there's some things that are very key and very important in here. It says, if now we will thus search the scriptures, search the scriptures. That's, that's kind of a key thing. Uh, it's important to search God's scriptures. Um, and not just search them, but search them exactly uh, and not carelessly. We're going to talk about that word carelessly uh, in just a second. Uh, but if we do that, we shall be able to attain unto our salvation. Like, if we study God's word uh, we're finding favor and our salvation is being built upon the things that we're doing, which I think is really, really cool. And if we continually dwell upon them, uh, we shall learn right doctrine, which I think is important. Um, that's that like right way of living and it's that right way of uh, learning. Uh, and we will find what it means to have a perfect life, which is something that we talked a little bit about last week. Uh, and it's something that I think, if we're all honest with ourselves, that's something we want to strive for. I want to be perfect. Will we ever be perfect in this life? No. When, uh, when Christ comes, uh, or if we pass, when we go to heaven, yeah, then we'll be in our perfected body. Uh, but it shows us this game plan, this blueprint for what it means to live a perfect life. Uh, this uh, quote from John Chrysostom echoes the writings of Paul, of Peter, of James, of John, of Jude, all the early church uh, writers. Um, and it's to stay in God's word, learn what true doctrine is, and to live righteously, uh, to live holy, to live for the Lord, to live like the Lord. And so I think this is pretty cool. That word carelessly uh, up there uh, in that quote literally means, uh, and I'm going to use a word that's used in the English language a lot, um, but I don't want us to get caught up on what we our understanding of the word is. Uh, currently, we're going to break down what the word actually means in just a second. But carelessly means to live without anxiety. Okay? Which, in our understanding of things in the English sense, to live without anxiety, that sounds like a good like a great thing, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah, but anxiety for for what we're talking about here and the way the Greeks viewed anxiety, uh, anxiety is actually a very good thing. You want to be very anxious. Okay? Uh, and, and so it, it's it's gonna be hard for us to maybe like wrap our minds around this, but I just want you to understand living without anxiety when it comes to reading God's word is not a good thing. Okay. And I'm going to break that down for you just a second because I know like to the, our English understanding of it, that sounds crazy. Okay. But I just want to break this down a little bit for you guys. And the reason why 
is because in Second Peter chapter three, uh, verse twelve, uh, we're told to be looking forward to uh, the hastening of the day of the Lord. When we approach God's word, we are to look forward to and to hasten what it has to say. And in the Greek, uh, that word "looking forward to" is prodosko, and the word um, "hastening" is skudo. Okay, you don't have to write those down or anything, but just know this: what it literally means translated. The way we as Christians are supposed to approach God's word with longing and with haste, this is what it means literally translated and expanded out on everything it says. Uh, we should be longing for with anxiety, uh, we should be longing for with anxiety, being zealous, uh, being exerting, and being industrious. Um, so now I'm going to break down what that anxiety is. Okay? Um, because when we think of anxiety, we think of I'm stressed. Everything's going crazy around me. I can't think, right? Is that how, when you guys hear the word anxiety, that's what we think of. People have like anxiety attacks or like panic attacks. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about anxiety. Um, let's go. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been to Disneyland, Six Flags, not very far? Uh, any amusement park, okay? How many of you guys uh, love roller coasters? Any roller coaster junkies? Okay, I love roller coasters and they're crazy. Now, the feeling you have on a roller coaster. How many of you guys have been California screaming? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know when you're like sitting there, and you're sitting, and you're waiting for it because it like sits in that starting position, and then all of a sudden it shoots you at 75 miles an hour. Okay. That that feeling that you have inside you, you're like, oh, it's coming next. And then when it launches you and you go up, and then you drop, and, and, and that feeling you have in your stomach of what's coming next, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. All the adrenaline junkies are just like, I know exactly. That's healthy anxiety. And that's the kind of anxiety we should have when we read God's Word. So you're like, you pick it up, you're going to read it, you're like, ooh, what's going to happen next? What am I going to read next? How is God's Word going to affect my life today? That's the anxiety that we should have when we read God's Word. Not not the unhealthy anxiety that we understand in our uh, modern American psychiatric understanding of anxiety. I'm talking about the way the Greeks viewed anxiety as this adrenaline rush, like what is going to come Next, because when we approach God's word that way, uh, God's word becomes ever real uh, and becomes more living when we look at it this way. And I think it speaks to our lives so much more when we go to it with, what am I going to learn from it? Rather than, yeah, you know, anxiety free. I don't care. Like, okay, how many of us have ever been to the Enchanted Forest? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, the little kitty amusement park that's a knockoff. And you're like, yeah, let's go on the long ride. Okay. This is cool. There's no anxiety for the log ride. Maybe like that it would break and that you'd have like fun getting stuck up there. I mean, that'd be cool. But like, no, you don't just go to like, woohoo, fun, but no, what's going to happen next? And that's how we should uh, approach God's word. I think that's really, really cool. Um, James goes on uh, to expound uh, on this in, in, in his letter that he writes to Christians. Uh, by saying that faith without works uh, is dead. Um, when we approach God's word uh, with that anxiety, uh, I'm not going to use anxiety anymore just so we don't get confused, uh, but we, uh, when we approach God's word with that adrenaline junkie mindset, how's that? Is that better than anxiety? Okay, when we approach God's word with an adrenaline junkie mindset, um, that is taking faith, right? When you hop on a roller coaster... Most of the time, okay, maybe not most of the time. For me, 
uh, when I hop on a roller coaster, I have this like fear inside of me. Uh, what happens if this thing breaks? And I'm going 65 miles an hour, and then I like launch. I just die, right? Okay, but I still want to ride the roller coaster. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. No, I still ride the roller coaster because I have the faith in the engineers that it won't break. I have a faith in those who are the mechanics and everything who put it together, the welders and everything, that it's not going to break. And sometimes we just don't even think about it because subconsciously we're like, yeah, it's going to work. Okay, We're going to just explain faith a little bit for us tonight. See this chair right here? Okay, Everyone got a chair? How many of you guys, when you guys came in tonight, uh, you sat down in a chair? Oh, right? Okay, watch me demonstrate. Whoa. Yeah, I sat in the chair. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the whoa moment. Thanks for saying whoa, Aaron. Here's the whoa moment. Uh, when I sat in the chair, uh, the chair held me up. Now, that's not something that we think about very often. Because how many of you guys, when you took a seat in your chair, before you took a seat in your chair, you picked it up, you inspected the hinges, Okay, that looks just good. Okay, the rivets are staying in. All right, let's see. Yeah, that's welded good. Okay, yep, it's good. I'm safe to sit in the chair, right? How many of you guys did that? Put your hand down. You didn't. I watched you. Okay. Um, no, like none of us did because we all had faith that the chair was going to hold us up, right? Okay, so that faith is, yeah, I'm believing even though I really actually don't know how it all works, okay? Uh, when it came to the chair... You didn't even know it, but you had faith in the people who built it. Okay, the engineers who were like, yeah. But even more than that, you had faith in the atoms and the molecules that hold this chair together. Okay? Um, and we could spend a long time talking about that. Hebrews talks about faith for us. So if you want to learn more about faith, go look at Hebrews. But here's the thing. When you approach God's Word with that adrenaline junkie mindset, uh, it takes a lot of faith to do that. Uh, and so when you do that, your faith uh, is being put to work. And so your salvation, your faith, is not dying. When you approach God's word with this woohoo, um, it builds you up not only in your faith, but your salvation is being like firmin. That's not a word. Uh, what's the word? I'm strengthened. Firmin. That's it's okay to, to yeah. It's not a real word uh, to make firm. No, uh, your faith is being strengthened, and your salvation is being built up. It's like. Uh, I'm going to get really nerdy. Is it okay if I get nerdy? Oh, yeah. yeah, last week I talked about Star Wars, so it's totally okay. Um, when I was younger, I used to think, like, samurais were the coolest thing ever. Um, and so I did a study on how they make, like, samurai swords. Uh, and I looked at how they, like, layer the steel. And it's like, they, like, beat these swords out and then fold it, then beat it out, fold it. And it's, like, layered steel, like, hardcore. And that's why, like, these swords, samurai swords, katanas, are, like, the most, like, incredible swords. They don't break on anything. Uh, and they cut through everything because the steel is so tempered. That's the thing. When we approach God's word with this faith, with this adrenaline junkie mindset, uh, our salvation and and uh, everything, it's like getting tempered. It's getting stronger. Like So when the world comes at us, uh, it's going to have a harder time breaking us down because we're firmed up in what God has for us through his word. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, okay, good. I, I hope it does. It made sense to me while I was thinking about it. So I just have to make sure it comes up. Uh, verse 32. Uh, look at that, guys. We've been preaching now for 25 minutes, and we made it through one verse. Amen. Amen. And we have we have five more to go. Fun. Okay. Um, so that's like an hour and 25 minutes more. You guys down for that? 
No, 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 I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Uh, it's not going to be that long. Uh, <laughs> I like your guys' honesty. That's great. Verse 32 uh, says, We are made free by the truth. Uh, and what this means, made free by the truth, it means we're like legitimately no longer trapped uh, by the sin that we have. Uh, I want to talk briefly uh, uh, about sin. Okay, uh, One of the biggest things when I think of sin, and I think of examples of sin in the Bible, I think of King David. Have you guys ever heard of King David before? Okay, He was a really good guy. He was a man after God's own heart. But one day he goes up on his roof. And I don't even know why he was going up on his roof. Maybe it was to look to stars. Maybe it was to like study God's word. Maybe it was to sing. Uh, but while he's up on his roof, he's looking around. And uh, ancient BC, uh, like, home decoration wasn't the greatest. They put like the bathtub up on the roof. I don't know why. Um, but David, he's up on his roof, and he looks over, and he sees like one roof over. He sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. And David... It's like, wow, that's a beautiful woman. And he like looks away. He's like, was that real? Looks back. He's like, whoa. He's like, pinch myself in my dreaming. Looks back. He's like, whoa. And and something takes place in David's mind. He's like, you know what? I like her. I'm the king. I have the opportunity to have any girl I want. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send a little messenger over to her house and say, the king wants to see you. And Dave, being all suave like he is, uh, seduces this girl, sleeps with this girl, gets this girl pregnant. Uh, and then he finds out, wait, uh, who's her husband? She's married? Oh, crud. Who's her husband? Oh, Uriah, one of my captains. Um, okay, i got to do something. And, 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 and so he begins to think in his mind, what can I do? He's like, oh, I'm going to call for Uriah to come home. And like a soldier who hasn't seen his wife in a few months, yeah, they're going to go and they're going to have fun. And uh, so he's going to think the baby is going to be his. Uh, so David sets the whole thing up, and Uriah comes home. But Uriah is a man of like honor and integrity. He goes, you know, if if all my soldiers, if they can't have fun with their wives, uh, I'm not going to have fun with my wife. And so he sleeps outside the house. He's like, I'm not even going to see her, uh, which is super noble. Uh, that's not how I would act, but um, I'm just saying. But but he was like uber noble, and I thought that was really really cool. Um, and David didn't think it was very cool. David's like, God, ah, this sucks. So now I got to kill him. So I don't get in trouble. And so what David does is he arranges it so that Uriah goes to the heat of the battle. And then when the battle goes crazy, the rest of Uriah's forces drop back and Uriah just gets killed by the enemy. So not only does he commit adultery uh, and some sinister lying and trickery, uh, he commits murder. So pretty sinful kind of guy. Uh, well, at one point, the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, David, you know, I got, I got an issue in the kingdom. Something's taking place. David's like, what, what? And he goes, well, you know, you know the hills out there uh, outside Jerusalem? David's like, yeah, I know them. He's like, yeah, there's a lot of sheep on them, you know. Uh, and he's like, yeah. And, and, and he tells this story about this family who only has one sheep. Uh, and he, like, eats dinner with them. And it's like, it's like a family pet. It's like, this is, like, the favorite sheep, you know. And that's all they have. And then there's this rich man who has uh, hundreds and hundreds of sheep. Well, the rich man has some, some family members come over, uh, some out-of-town guests. And it's like, well, it's time to... Uh, eat the sheep, like, let's let's have a good time. Uh, and rather than going to all the sheep that he has, he goes to his poor neighbors, and they only have the one sheep, and he takes their sheep and slaughters their sheep and eats their sheep. Um, and, and this, yeah, I've seen some of the faces in the front. Yeah, it's super sad, you know. Uh, and, and David didn't react with, the, oh, that's so sad. He acted like, slammed his fist on the table, like, where's this person? We're going to do this, 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 and this, this, and this. They have to pay back this, 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 and this. 
and uh, he, he sets up this whole thing, and he's like, like, this person should be killed, and then Nathan the prophet says to David, he's like, David, you know the story is you. Uh, you, you had everything, but you took from the one. Uh, and, and David at that point just breaks down and he falls apart. Um, and he has to deal with sin. Um, and we're all sinners, uh, because uh, let's be honest, if you were born, uh, you're a sinner. Um, if, if you've got blood flowing through your veins, you're a sinner. Uh, if people like to say, well, you know, I'm a good person, you know, I'm like, yeah, are you really? Uh, let's look. Okay, how many times have you lied? Hey, yeah, I'm a liar. And have you ever stolen anything? Remember the first time I stole something? I stole like 39 plastic scuba divers uh, from a, like, like a prize bucket in first grade because I thought it was cool. Uh, and then I lied about it for like eight years. Like, plastic scuba divers. I don't know. But yeah, so I'm a thief. Okay? Uh, and, and then you just go down the list. And it's like there's so many uh, things that we fall short of. So we're sinners. And so uh, we're going to look real quick. I gave you... Uh, three things how we know we're disciples. Uh, now we're going to look at three other things. We're going to look at how uh, sinners are dealt with. And the first way we're going to look how sinners were dealt with uh, is how sinners deal with sinners. When sinners deal with sinners, uh, we look at the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees, they brought this girl who was caught in sin, and they have rocks in their hands ready to stone her. When sinners deal with sinners, uh, it's, well, you know, my sin's not actually as bad as theirs. You know, I went to the party, and uh, I mean, they drank like 16 beers, uh, and, and, they, and they smoked a lot of weed. You know, me, I only drank like 12 beers, and I only smoked weed like once, you know. I'm not as bad as they are, you know. But we're all sinners, and, and like, who, who are we to put levels on who sins more, you know? Um so then what we're going to look at is we're going to look at how the law dealt with sinners. Okay, so sinners deal with sinners very hypocritically. Okay, um, and sinners like to uh, make levels of what sin is greater than other levels of sin. And it's really just this twisted, uh, ungodly thing. So how does the law deal with sinners? We're going to look at one example from Numbers. Um, you guys can write this down if you'd like. Numbers chapter 5, verse 12 through 27. We're not going to read them. Uh, I'm just going to summarize it for you. Uh, back in the day, if you were a husband and you suspected that your wife was cheating on you, okay, if you're a Jewish person, you were a husband and you have this suspicion that your wife might be cheating on you with your neighbor, what you would do is you would take your wife and you would go to the temple and then you'd go to the priest. And you'd say, priest, I think my wife is cheating on me. Well, I'd be like, no, I'm not, honey, you know. And the priest is like, all right, well, this is how we're going to find out uh, if you are uh, cheating on them, if you're an adulterer. What they would do is they'd take a bowl of holy water, okay, and then they would get down onto the ground, scoop up some dust of the earth, mix it with the water, spin it around, you know, and then hand the bowl to the suspected adulterer, uh, and she'd drink it. And uh, if her stomach got sick and, all, and it swelled up, and then her thighs swelled up, uh, you would know, yeah, she is a, she's an adulterer. And she would then be a curse to the, uh, to the family and to the town. Uh, crazy thing, but that's how they did it back in the day. Uh, that's how the law dealt with sinners. Uh, but here's the crazy thing. When the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus, uh, they were actually doing this very same thing that the law talked about. Um, did they 
Make this girl drink dirty water. No, here's actually the thing. It's more on the spiritual side. Uh, because Israel, uh, we know from Ezekiel chapter 16 and Hosea chapter 2, that Ezekiel is the bride of Jehovah. Uh, that, that Israel is the wife of God. But not only is it the wife, but it's the adulterous wife of God. And so now this adulterous wife of God is going to be being brought on trial. These Pharisees representing Israel, they're like, yeah, we have no sin, but they're being on trial and they're being brought before, and now something's going to test them. What tested it in the Old Testament? Water with some dirt. Ephesians 5 refers to when Jesus spoke, it was the water of the word that washes. So Jesus speaking the word of truth, that's water. And Jesus is also referred to as an earthen vessel, which is the dust of the ground. So when you mix the water of the word with the earthen vessel of Jesus, here's the tester to test and see, is Israel, this supposed adulterous <coughs> wife of God, are they cheating? And yeah, Jesus finds out, yeah, they are. And they are adulterous and they're caught in sin. So, that's how the law deals with sinners. But let's see how the Savior uh, deals with sinners. Because here's the thing, uh, the Savior deals with sinners the best. Uh, and it's how we should deal with sinners, uh, because it's how God deals with us. Um, this is what Jesus says. He says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. He says, look around you. Where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. You see, whereas sinners condemned? Yes. Uh, what verse are we on? Uh, we are, I think we're still in verse 32, actually. Yeah, we're still in verse 32. Chapter 8. John, John chapter 8, verse 32. Um, whereas sinners deal with sinners in a condemning way, where the law deals with sinners in a condemning way, uh, the Savior deals with sinners with love, with mercy, and with grace. Uh, and that's the way he deals with us. Yeah, there's going to be times where it hurts because our sin's being dealt with, but it hurts because he loves us. It hurts because he has grace for us, and his grace uh, is what saves uh, us. And so this is a, uh, this is a concept uh, to the people at the time, uh, that was very, very confusing. You see here uh, in verse 33, there you go, verse 33, uh, Jesus answer, or, or they answer Jesus and say, dude, we're Abraham's descendants. Uh, we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can we be set free? Like, we're confused. We don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. What's going on here? And confusion, uh, confusion when it comes to sin, um, can become a trap very easily for Christians. Uh, this can become a, a very dangerous trap for, for Christians uh, living in the Western world, especially uh, in America, uh, because churches uh, in America, um, they, they teach grace. And that, you're like, of course they teach grace, because that's what it's all about. Um, but we can so often teach grace so much and not refer to sin that when we teach grace so much, it's like, well, you know what? I mean, if I'm covered by grace, I might as well just sin because I'm covered by grace. I mean, is that a concept that's foreign to anyone? Or, I mean, is that like, I, I know that's my natural thought. Oh, you know, I'm saved by God and, you know, I put my faith in Him. And the Bible tells me that if I put my faith in Jesus, I'm saved. His grace covers, His blood covers, I'm going to heaven. Well, now that I'm saved, I might as well have fun. I mean, am I the only one who thinks that way? Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, okay, good. I see some people shaking their head. Yeah, you're the only one who thinks that way. No, I mean, that's, that, that's a very real way for us to think. Uh, and it becomes a trap when we get confused with the grace, when we get confused with sin, because we can get caught, uh, we, we can get 
stuck in this in this trap of, well, you know what? Because I have grace, I might as well sin. And then the flip side becomes true that, well, if grace is a direct response to my sin, maybe the more I sin, the more grace I'll get. That's a natural progression, isn't it? Right? Okay? If I sin more, I get more grace. And so then I sin some more, I get even more. And it's like, ooh, grace. Like, we get greedy for grace uh, when really Christ died once for all. And, and here's the thing. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Uh, you can leave, you guys can leave uh, John chapter 8 behind. I'm going to go back to it. But I want you guys to flip to Romans 6. Uh, we're going to stay in Romans 6 off and on now throughout the night. Uh, But Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound even more? And then Paul says, Certainly not. We don't say certainly not in modern language. So he says, No. No means no, right? He says, since since grace is abounding, uh, that means no, we should not sin because of the grace. Um, I think so often, and in, in, in I felt like the Lord really made this clear to me uh, over this weekend, uh, but Jesus, uh, Jesus, when Jesus was tempted, and I, I just want to uh, stop that for a second. Jesus was tempted. Okay? Uh, you guys know Jesus was tempted? Okay, Jesus was tempted three times by the devil. Um, here's the thing. Uh, your temptations are not sin. Okay? When you get tempted, uh, that's not sin. Because we can get trapped in this idea that we're such like, oh my gosh, I get tempted all the time. Like I'm, I like, has God saved me? Here's the thing: uh, it's what you do with those temptations uh, that is either sin or righteousness. Um, so uh, I'm going to use the example. Um, I'm a guy. Okay, I see a beautiful woman. I look at the beautiful woman. I'm like, wow, she's beautiful. Uh, is that a sin to say, wow, she's beautiful? No. Uh, but then. All the males can attest to this. The male mind does something. It's like, now go to the next thought. Uh, which the next thought is probably not a good thought. Um, and it's a lustful thought. Uh, and Jesus says, mm, yeah, no, probably not a good thing. Because when you have lust for someone in your heart, it's like committing adultery with them. Okay? So the temptation is there to, hmm, I could get intrigued by some lustful thoughts and desires here. And the other side is, you know, I could... She's beautiful, that's awesome, praise God, and then just keep going. And so the temptation's not the sin, it's what you do with the temptation. Okay? Uh, But now I want to retract from that just a little bit. Uh, Don't write that off as an excuse uh, to keep pushing the the boundaries of, okay, uh, well, you know, yeah, maybe this is still considered temptation, maybe this isn't the actual sin yet. See what I'm saying? Okay. I want you guys to understand that temptation is not the sin, but don't just write that off as an opportunity to put yourself in places where you get tempted just because you know, well, you know, I'm in a place where I can get tempted, and I am being tempted, but I'm not going to sin. Because uh, our human nature will kick in, uh, and the more times you put yourself where there's temptation, uh, chances are you're going to give in eventually. Uh, so be wise. Don't put yourself in places where you can be tempted. But also know temptation is not a sin. Because here's the thing. Jesus was tempted. So temptation was sin, then Jesus sinned, but we know Jesus never sinned. You guys all tracking? When Jesus was tempted uh, by Satan, the second time he was tempted, uh, Satan takes him up on the roof of the temple. uh, And he says, all right, Jesus, 
this is a pretty high place on the temple. Uh, I dare you to jump off, because doesn't it say in the Word uh, that the angels uh, will catch you? Uh, and I, I, I heard that portion of Scripture, I can't tell you how many times, and I've heard so many different meanings, but God revealed something to me uh, about myself um, when I heard that portion of Scripture last. Uh, he revealed something to me about even the way I view my own sin and the way I view grace. Because um, I can tell you in my life, there's been times where I've been standing up on the temple with Satan, and he says, uh, here's a temptation. And I'm like, yeah, okay, awesome. He says, yeah, just jump off. Won't God's grace just catch you? Like, see what I did there? Like when he told Jesus to jump, he said, yeah, won't the angels catch you? And I think the thing for us is we can stand up there and the devil says, here's a temptation. Just jump, because won't God's grace get, like, catch you? Mm-hmm. And I know for me, when I get myself thinking that way, I'm like, well, yeah, of course it's going to catch me. Cannonball, you know? I jump off. I, I'm, I'm going to be real with you guys. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to give into sin when we start thinking, well, yeah, God's grace is just going to catch me. Like the first time you do it, it's, it's a hard struggle, a hard battle in your head, you know? But then after you do it once, the second time it comes up, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, nothing really happened last time I jumped. God's grace saved me. I went to church the very next day. It was awesome, you know, had a great time in worship. Hallelujah, you know, and like, yeah, it was good. So then the next time you're up on the temple and Satan's like, yeah, just jump. Won't God's grace catch you? It's a lot easier to do it. And if you get into a habit of just jumping, it gets to the point where you like you like start running for the temple, and like the devil is like, I don't even have to be here anymore because he just likes jumping. How many of you guys have ever gone cliff diving, like in like Estacada or up in Duga Falls or something? It's fun jumping off, and like it's scary the first time, you know. But then like after you can't wait to get up there, and you just jump, you don't even hesitate. Uh, that's what it is for us with sin. If we allow ourselves to get to the place where we test God's grace. Because Jesus responds to Satan here, and he said, you know what, uh, it is written, thou shalt not test God. And so I want to encourage you guys, uh, don't test the limits of God's grace. Because I think that's a very dangerous place to be, because God's word tells us that God will not strive with man forever. You keep on being like, yeah, God's grace is great, woo! And you sin, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you start not even to think about if it's a good decision or not, you just do it because you know God's grace is there. Uh, that's a dangerous place to be. Because continual sin, willingful sin, uh, that is the fruit of someone whose life has not been changed by the Spirit. Uh, which that's a very dangerous place to be when it comes to the Day of Judgment and you stand before God. Um, I'm going to leave it at that because I think that's, I mean, think about that. Yeah, because it, it could happen at any moment. Uh, you, you could walk out here, get in your car, hop out, and not even see a car because their headlights were off. And you pull out and you get T-boned on the driver's side and you're dead. Right, right. And so it's just a very dangerous place to be. And I want to encourage us not, uh, not to go there because verse 34 tells us um, that if you commit a sin, that's one sin, you are a slave to sin. It doesn't say like, well, you know, if you commit 39 sins of the same kind of sin, that means you're a slave. No, it says if you commit a sin, a sin, one sin, you're a slave to sin. That Greek word there for slave is doulos. It means uh, someone who is being completely controlled by. When we think of slave, we're like, uh, yeah, someone who works for somebody 
uh, forcefully. No, no, no. What slave literally means here in the Greek, it means someone who is completely controlled by. You're like a puppet in sin and the enemy. They're the puppet master. And you are controlled by the sin. You're controlled by those desires. It's important for us to understand what sin is. Uh, sin is not a religious term. Sin is not a Christian term. Uh, sin is actually a term from archery, okay, like bow and arrows, okay. Uh, and what sin literally means is missing the mark. So if you're at an archery contest, going all Legolas style, right, okay, and, you, and you're pulling back, when you let your arrow fly, if it doesn't hit the bullseye, it's sin. Not like religious sin, but like it's sin. You missed the mark. You didn't hit the bullseye. In our lives, our lives, every decision we make, everything we make, we should be hitting the bullseye. And every time we don't, we're sinning. So here's the thing. How many of you guys have ever shot an arrow before? You guys hit the bullseye every time. Yeah, no. I mean, like, not even on, like, we are tree. It's, I mean, it's hard to be an arrow master anywhere, you know? And so um, the thing is, we all fall short, and that's exactly what the Bible tells us. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Uh, we're not going to hit the bullseye every single time, because uh, that's just who we are. Uh, so whether we think we're good or whether we think we're not, uh, we've still fallen short of God, and as a result, if you've committed one sin, you are in bondage, and you are a slave to that sin. Sounds like a very daunting situation. It's like, man, I didn't come to church to hear about the fact that I'm a slave to sin. Well, there's some hope for us. Um, uh, Christ has made it um, so. We're free from that slavery. Uh, what he did for us on the cross, uh, that set us free from our slavery. So now that the battle for us um, is not to break free from the slavery, the battle for us is not to go back to the slavery. Okay, there's stories of, of, of slaves who were set free, um, and they're like, yeah, I'm free, this is awesome. And then they go, and they realize, okay, well, when I was a slave, I had food. Even though it wasn't the best food, I still had food. I had shelter. I had this, I had this, I had this. But now that this, this slave's been set free, they're homeless, they don't have an income, they can't do anything, and they're like trying to figure out. I mean, these are like true accounts from like back in Civil War times. Slaves who were set free, they're like, freedom's awesome, but I, don't, I can't do anything now. And so they would go back to slavery. That's the battle for us. The battle for us, if you put your faith in Jesus, isn't to break free from slavery because it's already been broken. You've already been broken free. Now, the battle for us is not to go back. Not to go back to the slavery because if we go back, we might realize at first, yeah, you know what? Yeah, sin was comfortable. Sin was a good slave master, you know? He gave me a little bit of food here and there. Uh, but in the end, sin is always going to throw you out. Always going to leave you beat up, bruised up, in the streets with nothing. Um, and so the battle for us is not to go um, back into slavery. A great example of this is a guy by the name of Samson. How am I doing time wise? Okay. Um, a guy by the name of Samson. You guys ever heard of Samson before? Yeah, yeah Samson. Uh, a lot of times we see like pictures of Samson just being like this huge, strong dude, you know? Uh, we actually don't know if Samson was ripped, if Samson was like Mr. Universe. Um, here's the thing with Samson. Uh, Samson was just a man empowered by the Spirit of God. Okay? Uh, so don't get in your mind that Samson's just this, like Hulk Hogan. Okay? Uh, Samson could look a lot like 
uh, Taylor. Samson could look a lot like Ben. Samson could look a lot like Brianna. Well, probably not because you're a girl. Uh, like Aaron, okay? Um, so guys, but here's the thing we, we can pull from Samson. Samson was empowered by the Spirit. If you put your faith in Jesus, we are empowered by the Spirit. Okay? So we're a lot like Samson. So Samson, um, he was told and God told him, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, because if you do, uh, it's, there's going to be repercussions. One of those things was, uh, don't touch dead carcasses. Uh, it was part of the Levitical law, and he was a Nazarite, uh, and so he wasn't supposed to do these things. Um, but one day he saw uh, a dead carcass, and he, there was some honey in it, and he's like, all right, I'm going to go touch it. And he touched it. He, he committed a sin. But in his mind, it was a small sin. He's like, I'm not killing anyone. It's just a dead animal with some bees, and there's some honey. So I'm going to get the honey, you know? And um, nothing happened in his mind. Like in the natural, nothing happened. He's just looking around. He's like, yeah, nothing happened. Okay. God didn't throw the lightning bolt down. I'm good to go. But something did happen that moment that he touched the carcass. Uh, because if, he, if you commit a sin, you are now a slave to sin. And what Samson unknowingly did was he became a slave to sin. And so the next time an opportunity arose to sin, it was easy because nothing happened the first time. In his mind, nothing happened. So he hooked up with this girl named Delilah. There, Delilah. Like, he hooked up with her. It was great uh, for him, you know? And uh, yeah, she was a pagan. Uh, she was from a foreign country. Like, he was breaking everything that God told him not to do. Um, but she was wild. She was crazy. They had a good time. And he said, uh, Yeah, I'm a strong dude. Like, let me show you how strong I am. He like beats up a bunch of people and just say, "Oh, Samson, you're so cool. Let me give you strength," you know, doing like the whole like girl thing, trying to get all the secrets. And and, and uh, no, I'm not saying you guys do. I'm just saying, yeah, he like she's she's like trying to sweet talk him into this, and uh, it's something specific to men too. Uh, but but he, she she's she. What I'm saying with the girl thing, she's using that like pretty voice. The guys are like, "Oh yeah, I should probably say," it, you know, like girls, you know when you do that to us, yeah, uh, guy. I can't impersonate it because I'm not a girl, but it's happened to me before. I'm just like, I can't impersonate it. It's just, guys, you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, it's like it's like they just, they, they bat their eyelashes just right, and, and, they, and they like let their hair down, and you're just like, oh, you know, you know, okay, like, yeah. Wow, this just turned into a this turned into a crazy debate. That's awesome. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Bring us all back in. Bring us all back in. Uh, she gets Samson. She says, Samson, where do you get your strength? And she convinces Samson uh, because, not because she batted her eyelashes or anything, but because Samson had given in to sin way back in the day, and it became easier for him to give in, and he gives in, and he loses his power. That's a very, very, very um, striking uh, juxtaposition with us. Because we're empowered by the Spirit, okay, just like Samson was. But when we give in to sin, if we continue to give in to sin, there's a time where Samson lost his power. And here's the thing, the saddest verse in the Bible, in my opinion, it says Samson didn't even know the Spirit of God had left him. That's a very, very sad, and it's a very, very scary place to be. To get to a place where we don't even know if the Spirit of God is still with us. Uh, but if we continue to live in sin, if we continue to go down a road of 
It's okay for me to do this. It's okay for me to do this. And, and it started out small. I just did this one little thing and then oh, made the decision. It got a little bit bigger. But you know, you know what? I didn't get smited or anything. And you know, I didn't get caught. Okay, now I'm going down. <laughs> and you make your way down the list and you say something or you do something. Or, I mean, something takes place. You're like, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how I got here. But I got here. And then you realize, I didn't even realize it. I ain't even walking with God anymore. Uh, I, I can't enter into worship the way I used to. Uh, the messages, they don't speak to me the way they used to. Um, and you find yourself in this place. Like, I didn't even realize it, but the Spirit of God has left me. Um, and that's a scary place. Um, and it's a place I never want to get. Um, and so I think it's important that we deal with our sin. Um, like right up front. Uh, get... Uh, all in the nitty gritty with it. Because here's the thing, uh, sin ensnares us, and if we allow it to continue to ensnare us, it becomes more than a snare, it enslaves us. And now it completely controls us, because that's what that Greek word doulos means. It means completely controlled. And if our sin completely controls us, uh, we're no longer walking with God. Because what did we learn last week in First John? If, if you are one of my disciples... Uh, and there's darkness in you, you deceive yourself. You are not in the light. You are in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so I want to encourage each and every single one of us. I'm getting a little bit like, uh, in the pulpit. But here's the thing. I want to encourage you. Um, if, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, uh, if you claim to be a like a son or a daughter of the light, mm-hmm. um, but you are willfully sinning, uh, if, 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 if sin has you enslaved, um, you better get careful. Now, being real, you better be careful because first and foremost, your sin will find you out. Mm-hmm. We're told that in Scripture. Uh, and if you are living in continuous sin, um, that means you're walking in darkness. Uh, and you are not in the light. That's a scary place to be. Right, right, right. We referenced that earlier tonight, and, and yeah, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, guys, uh, God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. But if we abuse it over and over and over and over again, um, it, it, I mean, we're told he, he, he's not going to strive with us forever. Uh, you can't just keep jumping off and saying, Grace will catch me. <laughs> because at some point you're going to realize I'm jumping uh, and I just keep falling. Because there's no grace to catch me. Uh, and that fall ends somewhere. Uh, and it ends in a very real hell. Uh, if you continue to sin, if you continue to not be renewed by God's word, if you continue to live a life where you are constantly sinning, I'm not saying like, you slip up here and you slip up there. Um, yeah, that's an ensnarement of sin. Uh, and if we confess it and we say, yeah, you know what, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, yeah, God's grace forgives us. That's awesome. But if you continually sin and you are living in <clears throat> sin, and when I say, I mean, I'm going to keep nailing this home um, because it's real. And I care about you guys and I love each and every single one of you guys. If you are living in sin, 
be weary. Because no man knows the day or the hour when Christ is coming back. Uh, but be weary, because your sin won't find you out. I would much rather confess my sin to a brother, to a friend, uh, and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. And uh, I, I don't want to struggle with it anymore. I would much rather have the embarrassment of doing that uh, than getting caught in sin uh, and it being broadcast and people being like, oh, wait, how come that's not preaching on Tuesday night? Oh, yeah, because, uh, you know, he, he got caught. You guys catch what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it's important for us uh, when we sin uh, that we realize, okay, this is a big deal. Uh, sin's not just fun and games. Uh, sin is a big deal, mm-hmm. uh, and we need to come clean. Uh, does that mean you just go blab it? I, I do this, this, this. I mean, at times, yes. Uh, I think at times, uh, I mean, it, it means grab a brother, uh, grab a leader, come talk to me and say, I'm struggling with this, uh, and I need to come clean. Uh, because when we do, there's power in that. Uh, there, the, the, there's freedom in doing that. It breaks chains. Uh, and we're going to get there in just a second. First John chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God forgets our sins. That's awesome. I mean, that's cool. But if we don't confess our sins, yeah, He very much keeps a record of right and wrong. And I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, each and every single one of us, if we were to be honest with ourselves, uh, I don't think we'd want anyone else seeing what is on our list. I mean, I know me personally, in the things that I've done in the past, if, if y'all found out about it, you'd be like, whoa, whoa. Um, Matt's not all happy Matt, you know, preaching from the pulpit, you know. Um, and I think we're all that way. And so let's get real with our sin. Uh, let's confess our sin one to another because confession um, is freeing. When it came to the Jews, uh, it's time to be done. Uh, but I'm going to go a little longer. I'm going to go like seven minutes longer. So bear with me. Uh, when it came to the Jews, um, and how they dealt with sin. Uh, they didn't have Jesus. Uh, so they had to like wait for their sin to be dealt with. Uh, and their sin was dealt with once a year. Uh, and they had to go to a high priest who had to do a sacrifice for the people. Uh, and then their sins could be forgiven. It was because of the shedding of blood. Uh, but they had to go through somebody, and it was contingent upon someone. Even in some modern versions of Christianity, uh, Catholicism, uh, you have to go through somebody in order for your sins to be forgiven. Here's the thing. Uh, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did upon the cross, the blood that he shed, his blood was the blood that was shed once and for all. Are you guys still all in Romans chapter 6? You can look there. In Romans chapter 6, I think it's verse 12, uh, or verse uh, 10, it says this, For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. His blood covers our sins, and we no longer have to live uh, in the, the, this 
place where I have to wait once a year for blood to cover my sins, blood to cover my sins. No, his blood already covered your sins. And you don't have to go through someone to get forgiveness. You don't have to go through someone to get uh, uh, this confession with Christ. You can just go and because of what Christ did, you pray through him to God. You're like, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. The first and foremost, we talked about confessing to brothers. Uh, first and foremost, confess your sins to God because he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And then find a brother, find a sister that you can confide in and confess your sins because that brings freedom, that brings power. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says this, Knowing this, that your old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, uh, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has freed us from sin. If you put your faith in Jesus, then your old man was crucified with Christ on the cross, and you are no longer a slave to sin because you've been set free. So don't sin. Don't sin. It's it's crazy, but it's that simple. Don't sin. <clears throat> And when you do, confess. When you do sin, confess it. Don't allow the enemy to get a hold on your life by not confessing the sin. So now it becomes easier the next time. And then you don't confess and it becomes easier the next time. And you find yourself in a place at the end of the day where you are trapped and you're so enslaved to sin, you don't even know which way is right, which way is wrong. And you don't even realize it, but God has left you. Here's the thing, the word tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us, right? Okay, uh, But we can leave him. We can leave him. And I know, for me, I never want to leave him. But every time I sin, I do for a moment. And then if I do even more, it's longer moments. Then I get into this pattern where I've just completely walked away. And that's this very scary place to be. I can't say that enough. Verse 16 of Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to, uh, you obey? Uh, you are not one slave whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Here's the thing. You have a choice. You can either be a slave to sin, which is a very easy thing to do. You just keep sinning. You'll be a slave to sin. But what does being a slave to sin lead to? It leads to death. Or you can be a slave to obedience, holiness, be a slave to righteousness, which produces everlasting life. Paul goes on to clarify it in his letter to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. and says, Having been set free from sin, you have become a slave to righteousness. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. You can become completely controlled by righteousness, but it's your choice. The battle is yours now. Christ won the ultimate battle, but your battle is whether or not you're going to go back to the bondage and the slavery of sin. Paul goes on to break it down even more in verse 19. He says, I speak to you in human terms because of the weakness of your own flesh. We have a very weak flesh. And so he, Paul, Paul uses these concepts uh, that to the Romans at the time, slavery, over 60% of the Roman population was slaves. 
There were more slaves than free people back then, so they understood this concept uh, immensely. For just as you present your members as slaves um, of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which produces holiness. Um, Here's the thing. Verse 36 of John chapter 8. Uh, it says, Whom the Son has set free uh, is free indeed. Uh, this word free here is, is, is the word that we get liberty. Um, and, and it literally uh, means uh, no bondage, no nothing. You can do whatever because of the freedom. You're no longer controlled. Um, so we've been set free from slavery to sin. But here's the encouragement. Now become a slave to righteousness. Let God direct you. Let God control you. Not like some puppet master where he makes you choose decisions. No, he loves you. He's going to let you make your choices. But in the choices you make, make your choices as if you were doing them to please your master. If there were slaves, but when slaves got set free, if a slave had a good master, they could say, you know what, master, I love you so much because you treated me well. Um, I'm going to be what is called a bond servant. Uh, it's a slave by choice. Uh, they, they, they step back into a good slavery. Uh, and that's why Paul says, I'm a bondservant of Christ. I've been set free from my evil master, sin, and now I'm coming under as a slave, as a bondservant to a good master, a great master, a holy master, and I'm going to live my life to please him. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, verse 1. And uh, you guys don't have to flip there. Just write it down because I think it's important. Uh, it says this. Uh, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. That word liberty. That freedom. By which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Paul says, you've been set free. Don't go put yourself back in the yoke of bondage. Don't go get yourself entangled again. He says, stand fast, therefore. Uh, Why does he say therefore? Well, anytime we see therefore in Scripture, we have to ask, what's it there for? So we jump back. Uh, We jump back in verse 28 of chapter 4, and it says this, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. If you see in verse 37 of of John chapter 8, Jesus says, you are right in saying you are sons of Abraham. Isaac is Abraham's son. So we're seeing the same common theme here. Uh, Isaac being a son of promise, son of Abraham. Um, but he was born, uh, but as he was born according to flesh, uh, then persecuted, who was born according to the Spirit, uh, even so it is now. Therefore, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir, and the son uh, be heir with the son of the free woman. So, brethren... We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And this is breaking down. We don't have time to talk about it tonight. The story of Abraham uh, and Hagar, uh, and Abraham and Sarah, and Ishmael and Isaac. Great story. Read it. But here's the thing. Um, one was born out of sin. Stepping outside of God's promises, stepping outside of God's boundaries. And the other one was born according to God's promises. Um, and one had the chance to be an heir, the other had a chance to be an heir. Uh, but God said, no, send this one out. 
because it's sin. And this one, the son of promise, freedom. Here's the thing. You have the choice. Each and every single one of us have the choice. I'm just going to ask you guys. Uh, we don't do this every week. But I'm going to ask you. Can you all just uh, close your eyes? Uh, speak to me, Lord God. And I want you to uh, do some introspection. Look, look at yourself. You have the choice uh, when it comes to um, your life, uh, when it comes to your body, when it comes to uh, the decisions you make. No one's making uh, those choices. No one's making those decisions for you. Uh, it's you. Um, and it's a battle every single day. There's a battle going on every single second of every single day for you. Uh, and uh, the world of addicts, the struggle is real. I mean, it is. Uh, as cliche as that sounds. Uh, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. There's a very real uh, battle that's going on. Uh, and the battle for us, because here's the thing, the battle's already been won. The battle for us um, is saying no to sin. Um, at times it's easy to say no. Uh, at other times it's it's the hardest thing to do. Uh, sometimes it's not the popular thing to do. Um, but we got to say no to sin. Um, so with every head bound, uh, with, with, with every eyes closed, um, all across the room, um, I want to ask you guys the question. Um, how many of you, uh, by a show of hands, I want every eye closed. Uh, I don't want, I mean, I, I, want, I want this to be a private moment between me and God. Uh, how many of y'all uh, in the room uh, would attest to the fact uh, that the struggle's real, the struggle's hard, uh, and you fight every day with the sin? Raise your hand if, if, if that's you. Uh, if the struggle's real, if the struggle's real. Awesome. Okay. I see a lot of hands. Uh, my hand's up, too, just so you all know. Uh, you guys, eyes closed. My hand's up. The struggle's real. Um, and I have to say, I know me personally, I have to say no. Um, and I have to learn what it means to say no. Uh, and the more you say no, here's the cool thing. Just like when you jump, it gets easier to jump again. It gets easier to jump again. Uh, when you say no, uh, it might be hard to say no again. But then you say no again. The more you do it, the more you make it a practice. Uh, it gets a little bit easier. You want to know what the steroids to making that easier are? You have to open your eyes real quick. Um, the way to say no, the, make, the way to make saying no easier, we're told. Jesus told us there in verse 31. He said, abide in my word. We looked at what that word abide means. It means to be continuously remaining with intention in God's word. You want to learn how to say no to sin? Be in God's word. Be in God's word. And uh, be in it continuously. If you got questions, ask the questions. Don't just use it. I don't understand what that means. I guess I'm going to set it down. Yeah, that's the lie the enemy wants to tell you. Set it down. No. You keep staying in it, applying it to your life. When you got a question, you ask. Because it's the power that sets us free. And who the Son has set free is free indeed. 
So I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes today. Because when we talk about sin, when we talk about uh, the gospel, when we talk about the hope that we have in Jesus, uh, for some of you, this might be new. You're like, I, I didn't know I was a sinner. Or maybe you did, and you're just like, yeah, I didn't know there was a way for me to get out of this. Uh, well, that way is Jesus. And what Jesus did for us on the cross, <coughs> giving his life a, a, a death that we deserve. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, we all deserve to die. But Christ died for us. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9. Uh, anyone who calls, or, or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Romans 10, 13. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If, if, if you're hearing this tonight for the very first time, uh, you're hearing Jesus for the very first time, and you say, you know what? I don't know if Jesus' blood covers my sins. Um, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I were to die today um, that I'd go to heaven or hell. I, I don't know where I'd go. If that's you and you're hearing this for the first time tonight, um, I want to give you the chance uh, to make that public statement tonight. Uh, I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. Uh, and, and I'm going to just encourage you, uh, that public statement between you, God, and between me, uh, let me know just by raising your hand. If, 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 if you're here, I'm going to count to three, and if you're here, uh, and this is the very first time, and you say, you know what, I want to give my heart to Jesus and I want him to set me free from sin. I no longer want to live in bondage. If that's you, you know, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. That's just this thing. Uh, one, Jesus loves you. Uh, two, Jesus died for you. Uh, and, and he loves you so much that he wants to spend an eternity with you. So if that's you, on the count of three, one, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. I see that hand. Your hand, you can sit down. That's awesome. Um, praise God. Maybe you're here tonight, and uh, you're hearing all this, and you're like, "Wow, I've been living in sin. Uh, I didn't realize how far I let myself go." Uh, and I just want to make sure, because uh, I don't know where I am with the Lord. I just want to make sure tonight uh, that I'm right with God. Uh, that I'm right with God. That if I were to die, that I'd spend an eternity with Him. If that's you tonight and you just want to make sure, maybe you've given your heart to the Lord in the past. And you're like, I, I don't know where I stand right now. Um, I want to give you a chance. So, 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 so if that's you and you're just like, I want to make sure I'm the right place with God. Uh, if, if that's you tonight, uh, we'll just let me know by raising your hand. Awesome. 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 Now that's awesome. Um, four hands going up. That's, <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, you, got, you guys can open your eyes. Uh, for those of you who raised your hands for that, um, and the hand that went up for salvation uh, went up for, for, for the second one also. So, uh, and, and, and I know that person has already made some decisions. And so uh, I think we had four people uh, tonight say, you know what? Uh, I want to make sure uh, that my eternal destiny is secure. Uh, for those of you who made that decision, here's the thing. Uh, God never leaves us. And if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, uh, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. Uh, and stand assured in that. Uh, and know that you are saved. And now, because Jesus has set you free, live in freedom. Live in freedom. 
hold one another accountable to live in freedom. And then with every eye open and with every head up, if you're someone who's just, maybe you raised your hand when I said you got sin, uh, and you raised your hand, maybe you didn't raise your hand. If you're someone uh, who just wants to say, you know what, God, I want to do everything I can. And everything I can't do, I thank you that you already do it. Uh, but I just want to live every moment uh, honest with you, honest with myself, honest with those around me, uh, and I don't want to battle sin anymore. I want to just have victory, and I want to live in the newness and the freedom that you have for me. And with everything I have, God, I'm going to live for you. If that's you tonight, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, because raise your hand, you already did that. Uh, if that's you tonight, I'm going to invite you just to stand to your feet. If, if you want to say, God, from this point on, I'm living with you, I'm living for you, and I, I don't want to turn back. And God, give me the strength, give me the power to overcome sin in my life. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet right now. Awesome. 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 So here's the thing, guys. Um, I'm going to invite us all to stand now. Um, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for each and every single one of you guys. I expect that you guys pray for me also. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, I need just as much prayer as you guys do. If not more. Uh, I, I'm just going to be real with you. Uh, because we're told in Scripture that the enemy wants to come after the people who preach God's Word. Uh, and, and so uh, I'm under attack every single day. And so I need your guys' prayers also. But I'm going to pray for you guys uh, with the expectancy that you guys should pray for me. Uh, but then let's go from this place in freedom. Okay? Let's go from this place in freedom. And let's not turn back. Let's not even look back. Let's just run full steam ahead forward after God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you. God, that you're a God who loves us. Uh, that God, you're a God of freedom. Uh, God, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And God, we, uh, God, we just claim your freedom in our lives. God, for those who said, I want to, I want to make sure uh, my eternal salvation is secure. Um, God, your word tells us that if we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. So God, just as an act of faith, a statement of faith, God, we say together collectively tonight that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's say that, guys. Jesus Christ is Lord. God, we thank you that your word tells us when we say that we are saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God, we thank you. God, and we declare your freedom. God, and just as another act of faith, a statement of faith, uh, God, we tonight, we're going to say whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So guys, let's say that. For whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And God, since we've said that, we've declared that, we've said that over our life, God, may we live in freedom because we are free indeed. The old is dead and gone and the new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. We no longer think the way we used to. Uh, our natural urges, desires, uh, God, we don't have those anymore because we're not natural. We're supernatural because we're new creations. For the person who deals with impure thoughts and uh, sexual urges and desires, uh, because that's the natural progression of things, God, we're no longer natural. <laughs> Because we're a new creation, and we don't have to think that way anymore. For the person who deals with lying, 
Because it's, well, survival of the fittest. That's the way it's always been. i got to lie to put myself forward. God, that's not how we are anymore because we are a new creation. God, for the person who thinks less of themselves, who has low self-esteem. God, you can't look at your creation as something less, as something not worthy. God, you loved us so much. So God, for that person, God, may you build them up. God, may they no longer live their life trapped in the fear of themselves. God, because that opens so many doors for sin. But whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And God, that's our thought life as well as our physical actions. God, you freed us. And God, we pray and we believe uh, in faith, God, that you broke chains even tonight. God, and that people have been set free. God, as a result, as we abide in your word, continuously remaining with intention in your word, God, that we would see your kingdom come. Mm -hmm. That's how you taught us to pray. God, you said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive me this day my trespasses, God. Forgive me of my sin and help me forgive those who have sinned against me. God, we just pray that your kingdom come. God, that your kingdom, which is full of holiness, which is full of righteousness, which is full of peace, which is full of joy, which is full of freedom and liberty, God, may that rule and reign in our lives. God, we thank you. We praise you. God, go with us as we go from this place today. God, we pray all this in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.